You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. I'm Michael Kist of Bleeding Green Nation, and I invite you, gentle listener, to join us for the best analysis of the Super Bowl champion Philadelphia Eagles in the business. BGN Radio provides you with the most informative preview shows, and the Kist and Solak show dives deep into all the scheme and X and O details you could ever want. Plus discussions with the industry's brightest minds, including former NFL players and press conferences from the Eagles coaching staff to keep you up to date and informed every step of the way. Subscribe to Bleeding Green Nation today. Fly, Eagles, fly. Hello and welcome to episode 72 of this ever podcast. I am Jim Adair. With me as always is Max Rappaport. And Max, we finally made it to the Jason Capono episode. How excited are you? I mean, this is really the only reason we started the podcast anyway, was to get to episode mm-hmm. Jason Capono. So I'm thrilled. I mean, we've, we've accomplished the goal we set out for ourselves and this is, will be our final episode. Yeah, this is the end of it. 72 episodes of like what 45 percent basketball talk probably some stuff about linguistics and airport codes and 80s movies uh and then some basketball and we have had a nice run so with the the dawning of jason capono i think it's time to call it quits right uh pretty much i mean i think i think when we went on uh i post all our episodes the sixers subreddit and i think when i went on like a day later and saw that every single comment was exclusively talking about our discussion of linguistics and endonyms and exonyms uh Kind of told me that we'd uh, jump the shark, and it was probably probably time to just shut it down. Thankfully, one episode before episode Jason Capono. Exactly. I mean, because that's what we're all here for anyway. It's just some really in-depth Jason Capono talk. Who cares that Markel Fultz is out here hitting three-pointers when we can sit here and talk about Jason Capono? Speaking of Markel Fultz shooting jumpers, um, something yeah. we realized was that uh, both of us, very on brand, both of us missed missed the three-pointer live that is true i was in the arena uh went in and the escalator on the one side of the building was not working or turned off or whatever so the walk around the other side of the building to go up the escalator and while i was on the escalator i heard the matt court announcement so i just missed the made three-pointer yeah and i was working because i live on the west coast and the game started at 4 p.m uh I've kind of worked my schedule so that most days I'm going to be able to watch games live. Um, and Mondays were sort of a day that I, I sacrificed because they don't really play many uh, Monday games this season, so at least the first half of the year. So uh, I kind of made that my late night where I work super late and make it so that Tuesday, Wednesday, I can I can get off early and, and watch uh, and Fridays also. But uh, yeah, so I just caught it like probably 20 minutes after it happened, I got out of a meeting and went on Twitter and people were just going wild. Uh, but I think that's funny that we, uh, we, we both missed it, which we, we tend to do. Usually it's one of us who misses an important thing. Like when you're on a plane and they trade half the team or, um, when I'm in a different country and a bunch of crazy shit happens. Right. Yeah. But But, I mean, uh, in this case, I mean, I was in the actual building. I still missed it. So, I mean, it's just like, if I had been in my seat by that point, he wouldn't have made the shot is how I look at it. Yeah, and I'm pretty certain the Sixers are going to win every single game they play on Monday nights also. Yeah, probably. Season. Yeah. Well, um, since since we're already talking about it a little bit, when you first saw the clip, I guess, since neither of us saw it live in person or, or as it happened, uh, what was your reaction to the shot, to it going in, and how do you feel in the aftermath? Well, I feel like sort of an idiot because right before the game I, I made a joke on twitter in a reply to someone uh saying that when i put out that gif after last game after the first game or during the first game about markel fultz getting a swagger back i had like wanted to wait until he hit a three but then in the third quarter of the first game when it became like pretty clear that wasn't going to happen for a while i was like fucking i'm just putting this out after he hits like two layups in a row um 
I really didn't think like, and in that reply, I said like, yeah, I don't want to have to wait until December to put the GIF out. <clears throat> and then he goes out and in the first quarter of the next game, hits a three and takes three others. Um, I guess I was, I was pretty surprised that he, that he came out and, and took four of them. I mean, one was a late, late shot clock or end of the quarter one. Um, but I, I just kind of assumed based on the first game that it was going to be a little bit of a longer runway to get him to, to being comfortable shooting those because in the first game he had so many instances where he could have taken a shot from outside and would kind of drive into traffic. And we saw that all last year was, um, you know, he would pass up open shots to, to try to get into the lane. So I just kind of expected more of that. Um, I thought it looked good. Like I was, I was pretty impressed by that. I think, you know, there was that Bodner tweet before the game uh, about it looking, you know, his shot looking in the in the warmups the best it had since UW, and I thought that was totally true. Like just watching all of his jumpers that game, um, and there's still a little bit of inconsistency, but like shot to shot, um, that I think is somewhat normal, and and also you know I think should get better with time. But I thought it was impressive just watching him. I don't know, look comfortable shooting it, and and all the other ones too looked like in rhythm and look decent and, you know, not the weird inconsistent push shot he was shooting last year. Yeah. I mean, I think for me, I mean, it looked great. I'm glad it went in. Uh, it kind of gets, gets me back from that. The one wide open corner three, he would have had that, that player for Melbourne just poked out of bounds like a jerk. Uh, so that was good. But I think, yeah, I think, you know, the rest of the jumpers that he took, not counting the, uh, the, the buzzer beating like 35 footer that he kind of pulled up. Um, it's really good to see them in rhythm because you know he'll dri- he'll dr- start dribbling in from the three point line and you know do these little spins and turns and stuff like that, and he's got so much momentum turning himself around and going like that, so it's kind of hard to pull up and kind of square your shoulders that way. He's been doing such a good job of that. The next thing I now want to see in it is now is a pull up three, right? Because he did a lot of that in college where he would bring the ball up, see a little bit of an opening, and just pull up. And so far, the three we've seen him take are either a catch and shoot or essentially the one he needed was essentially a catch and shoot. He put the ball on the floor once. Um, but I think that, because that was such a, a, a key aspect of his game, the ability to just pull up, like the threat to just pull up out of nowhere. And that'll come with time, hopefully. I mean, you know, you got to build that confidence by, with wide open shots first before you just start, you know, pulling up, you know, 28 footers. Um, but yeah, it's definitely a good sign. And I think it's, I have, you know, a ton of confidence going forward for him. Yeah, I thought I thought too. Like, even the 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 jumpers he took from a little closer in, like he just looked comfortable. And there were a few times where he actually pulled up in an instance where I thought he could have driven the ball. It almost seemed like he went into the game kind of with the mindset, "I'm just going to take as many jumpers as possible and not try to get to the lane." Um, but there were a few times where he did that. I thought uh, this was maybe new was that he he would take a jumper that I feel like in the past he would have. Basically, he was last season. He was waiting until he was pretty wide open and probably from like eight to thirteen feet before he'd actually attempt a jumper. Um, mm-hmm. And this time, I, there were a few times where he actually like kind of would drive to his left side and pull up from there uh, instead of trying to force something inside. I thought that was like maybe the most uh, promising aspect was that he just wanted to take them and was willing to take them even if they were a little contested, which like. I think thought even in the first game was not really the case. Like it, it still looked like it did last year, where he was trying first to score inside or, or get by someone, and if he couldn't do that, he might settle for a jumper if they sagged off a little bit. Right. I mean, I mean, that's what you want to see, right? You know, it doesn't really matter. You know, everyone the kind of prevailing wisdom before this was like you want to see the confidence first, and then if they go in second. So just the the, the fact that he's going in with the mindset of taking jumpers is like what I'm going to be doing and I'm not going to settle for, you know, dribbling into a crowd and getting stuck with my plant foot and looking for a pass like that, you know, just opening up his mind to saying like, this is what I'm going to shoot for. And I'm going to, you know, literally shoot for um, is like step number one in what you hope is a many step process. But that is the first one, right. To pull up and just decide to start shooting because, you know, for the shot to go in, you got to take it. And for you to take it comfortably and have a higher chance of it going in, you have to be comfortable doing it. So you have to have the mindset. You have to feel a rhythm. You have to, you know, go in and, and, you know, I think it's a great sign that essentially what he's, he made his second attempt at three, right? Cause he missed a first one and then he missed one or two later in the game as well. I think two, if you include the pull up at the end of the buzzer. So 
I mean, his teammate is second, which is good. I mean, I would have expected him to miss like his first four or five, probably if I had to guess. If you had told me like how many three-point misses will he have before he makes his first one in the preseason, I'd probably say four or five. So that's a great sign. Um, but yeah, like you were saying, I think the confidence is just, you know, if if you could just give him a smidge of Robert Covington's confidence. Maybe not Maybe not that much like confidence. Like a tiny bit of... <laughs> Just take a little bit off the top, you know, and hand it over to Markel. I think that's that's the dream right there. Yeah, well, I thought it was good, too, that his the, the make he had came right after missing a very similar shot on a kickout in basically the exact same spot on the floor. And he took it again like three minutes later and made it. Um, I thought it was interesting, too. Like, we spent the whole summer and all of last year while he was hurt, like, wanting footage of his jumper and just, like, wanting to see a little bit more and, like, analyzing like still frame shots from the all the photographers who in, who were in Drew Hanlon's gym and then all of a sudden the preseason starts and it's like oh yeah here's like four minutes of him taking threes in the warm-ups or like halftime of the last game like on YouTube and people are posting that and it's like I don't know I think it's it's um it's almost like you have so much more data and you have so much more to look at um I don't know. I, I feel like even watching it, it wasn't it wasn't like it was perfect. It wasn't like what I was watching in warm-ups was him just like raining, raining threes. Uh, but there was something that felt a little more, I don't know. I just felt more at ease, like just being able to see like, oh yeah, he's like a normal basketball player shooting, <laughs> shooting warm-up like threes with everyone else, even if some of the, like a lot of them weren't going in. And I think in that clip, he had a stretch of like 11 misses in a row before he made four in a row. But like, I think just like seeing him doing what other players are doing and like right. he's a normal player. It's sort of like the same thing with Embiid. Like with Embiid, there was always so much like you were almost treating him like he wasn't an NBA player. Like he was this other thing uh, that had to be treated differently. Um, and then as soon as like he played a right. f- basically full season last year and had the whole summer healthy and now he's like not on any kind of restriction, you're like, oh yeah, he's like just a normal player who's really, really good. And I think there's something that felt that feels really reassuring about yeah. just seeing Markel Fultz not treated in this like super protected way and just being able to like I don't know the fact that he's taking four threes in a game and not shying away from that and that they're starting him and that you're seeing him out in warm-ups and they're not hiding his his jumper the way they were before yeah yeah I think that's huge and it is it's nice to have because you know Embiid is looking good conditioning wise um, he's not coming off of any kind of injury thing. Fultz is there. I mean, obviously Zaire is hurt right now, but it's almost like there's a real basketball team out there with no restrictions on anybody. It's kind of great. Yeah, it's it, it does it does feel really different than the last few years have felt. Even last season felt felt different. You know, you had yeah. Embiid coming off his first year only playing what thirty three games. You had Simmons as a rookie. You had this whole weird situation with Fultz the whole year. Um, this feels like, I don't know, there's something about watching this team now that uh, I feel like there was a big shift just in watching the first preseason game. And this makes sense because it's just the truth that like this feels less like maybe that like first good Thunder team where you're like, oh yeah, this team's going to be really good in the future or like Minnesota two years ago um, or even last year. And less like this team of the future and more like, oh, like no, these are like all good players right now. I think some of that was... You know, like SI putting Embiid in the top ten, and and just seeing uh, a respect for the players and the on the team. But there's something about this, like mm-hmm. watching this preseason, that feels like, um, and maybe it's because a lot of the same guys are here from last year, and it doesn't feel like there's a lot of turnover. But where it just feels like they're an established good team, obviously with room to grow. Yeah. But like if for the first time, it doesn't feel like they're this young up and comer. It feels like they're just there. Right. Speaking of young up and comers, you want to move on real quickly. Uh, the NBA's GMs, their yearly GM survey, survey, oh, not survey. survey, uh, came out, survey, you know, good old survey, uh, came out today. Um, there were a couple of, of things I want to bring up on here, but since you brought up the, the promising future, uh, they were, there was the question of which team is the most promising young core and the Sixers got 47% of that vote. So 47% of the 30 general managers, uh, Boston 33, Chicago and Phoenix each with seven and then Denver and Utah each got one hmm. vote. Um, no LA on there, but I think that's because pe- people aren't focused on LA's young people anymore. Now that LeBron and every other old player in the yeah. league is there. 
Uh, also notable, um, notable people who made not missed, uh, which we'll get to in a second as well. Uh, 23% said J.J. Redick is the best player moving without the ball, which was second behind Clay Thompson. Uh, ben Simmons got a couple of votes for best passer. Uh, Embiid was sixth with one single vote likely for because th- it's 3%. Uh, if you were starting a franchise, think it's not any player in the NBA, who would it be? That was Joe Embiid was sixth. I wonder um, who, who is number one on that. Uh, I believe it was LeBron or Giannis, Anthony Davis, Kevin Durant, LeBron James, Steph Curry, Joel Embiid. Fair enough. I, I Steph Curry is a weird one. I think LeBron's a weird one. I think like choosing a guy who's thirty two is is bizarre for that. Yeah. But LeBron's good enough. I feel like last Curry's, year was what thirty. Yeah, last year it was Carl Anthony Towns who didn't get a vote mm. this year. Uh, players most likely to have a breakout season in 18-19. Ben Simmons got a couple of votes, and Markel Fultz got one. Jamal Murray was first on that, which I think is interesting. Yeah. Um, best center in the NBA, Joel Embiid was second at 33% behind Anthony Davis at 40%. Uh, Brett Brown got a single coach as best manager slash motivator of people. Hmm. Uh, Monty Williams got a mention for best assistant coach. TJ and JJ got mentioned for players who would make good head coaches one day. Um, TJ, I believe, was in there before, too. Uh, Sixers got a couple of us for a team that's most fun to watch. Uh, yeah, and that's those are the uh, the notables that of who made the spot. Now, people had... We are already talking on Twitter a little bit earlier about notable uh, misses, which... Um, I want to say. Uh, oh, also the Sixers are mostly people. Most GMs expect them to be third place in the East. They had fifty-three percent of the third place vote, thirty-three percent of second, and seven percent of fourth. So, um, no mention of Embiid in any kind of MVP talk. Uh, no mention of anybody in who forces coaches to make uh, changes. Ben Simmons not mentioned as best point guard. No one else has mentioned any other uh, other positions. Um, <clears throat> The one that people mo- noted the still kind of the most is that uh, no mention of Embiid for best defensive player or best interior defender. The best interior defender part is kind of crazy to me because Rudy Gobert got eighty percent of that vote, which is deserved. Uh, Rudy Gobert is insane. Anthony Davis got ten percent, and the rest was split between Draymond Green. DeAndre Jordan and Dwight Howard. Uh, who in 2018 thinks that Dwight Howard is the best interior defender in the NBA? And why are they currently in NBA? GM? I need Elden Brand to call up whoever that was right now and try to try Unless to dump Jared Bayless on him. Yeah, right. Like, hey, Amir yeah. Johnson's a good um, interior defender. Yeah. Uh, also, there was no mention of Embiid or Simmons when it came to uh, questions about foreign players uh, or international players, sorry. Uh, but I think that is because I think the way that they define international in this is came right from overseas to the NBA. And both Embiid and Simmons went to college in the U.S. So that kind of disqualified them a little bit. Uh, any of those really, I just I know I just listed a bunch of them off to you. Any of those really kind of blow you away? Um, I don't know if any of them really blow me away. I feel like I am a little surprised that Embiid didn't get any votes for potential MVP. Or for, I mean, I thought the interior defender one was a little more, uh, stood out a little bit more. I mean, he clearly is, I mean, how did the voting work? Was it like these are only showing first place votes? Uh, no, it's only, it was just one, they were asked one person. See, that's crazy to me that like, oh, first off, I think that's like a bad way to do it. Um, especially for ones like interior defender, like 80% say Rudy Gobert, and then you're just going to get a few random ones outside of that. But I, it's crazy to me that anyone would say Dwight Howard or uh, Draymond Green, best interior defenders over anyone in the league. Like that's, that's wild. Right. To me. Or, or drum or uh, Jordan too. Um, yeah. Yeah. None of them really stand out to me that much. Um, I thought it was cool that they were the most fun and that also Zach Lowe, uh, either today or yesterday, put out his watchability uh, league pass ratings and ranked the Sixers number one, which I, th- I thought was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I think it's it's kind of hard when you're insulated in this in the local bubble that you get to see every Sixers game. Um, <clears throat> but I think for the reasons that he mentioned, uh, and kind of looking at it from a, a non Sixers fan standpoint, 
they're incredibly exciting to watch. Um, you don't necessarily get the uh, the frustration and kind of like, oh, this again, like doom damning feeling from all the turnovers if you're not watching every second of every game locally. So that kind of goes out the window. And then when you take that out of the game, they're nothing but entertaining. Yeah, I agree. And I, th- I think maybe the other one that stood out to me was um, I, w- I was wondering who got the m- best motivator, like the coach who was the best. I forget what the term was, but it's basically like best motivational coach. Um, you said Brett Brown got like one vote for that or two votes or something? Uh, yeah. Uh, there were so Greg Popovich got number one. Okay, that's fair enough. Uh, 47%. Steve Kerr at 20%. Brad Stevens at 17 Eric Spolstra at 7 which I think comes out to two votes. Uh, and then the remaining uh, the remaining three votes were Doc Rivers, Dwayne Casey, and Brett Brown. Doc Rivers? Really? And he yells a lot. He yells a lot, but th- I, I feel like... Th- I just have a hard time thinking of him that way because his teams have all underperformed their talent level. Like, isn't the whole idea of being yeah. a good motivational coach that you get players to overplay their their ability and like want to play for you him? So. And they just had every one of their stars leave, and also were like perpetually a disappointment. Yeah. Uh, also notable that Greg Popovich, I think for like the first year, like three or four years, was unseated as the best head coach. Uh, last year, he had 82% of the vote for best head coach. This year, he's down to 30, and 47% of the vote went to mm, Brad Stevens. Brad Stevens. Yeah. I can, I can fucking Dan, coach. D'Antoni, Steve. Yeah, he can. Uh, D'Antoni, Steve Kerr, Rick Carlisle, Quinn Snyder, and Terry Stotts all rounded that out. I, I'm not, I, have, I have no problems with those at all. Yeah, that seems fine to me. Um, and uh, under a coach gets makes the best in in game adjustments. Brett Brown got zero votes, which I think most of Twitter would probably agree with. That seems fair. Uh, I guess speaking speaking yeah. of uh, this is a smooth transition. Speaking of in game adjustments, what do we think now that there's a little bit more confidence that Markel Fultz can like shoot a three? Uh, sure. What do we think at this point of Markel Fultz starting game one of the regular season over JJ Redick? I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's still, you know, um, let's see here. Give me one second. J.J. Redick was part of, you know, the top, one of the top lineups in the entire NBA, and I think the top starting lineup in the NBA last year. Uh, He started 70 games, and he played in 70 games. So uh, we have a 70-game sample size for J.J., and basically like a 1.25 game sample size because we're not really going to count the Australia game, are we? Um, so I don't know. There's going to be a lot more that can be done with lineups and rotations and all that kind of stuff. I think more important than which of those two guys starts is who's the first guy off the bench overall and who obviously who finishes games, right? Because that's more important. So if you have Markel Fultz, starting and J.J. Reddick coming off the bench, and then J.J.'s your first guy off the bench anyway, and even if it's with Fultz or without Fultz, then I think it's kind of basically a push. Because at that point, J.J.'s... I mean, J.J.'s gonna, still going to play... He averaged 30 minutes last year. Um, The number one person... Jesus, the minutes on this bench squad last year were not great. Uh, The number one non-starter when it came to minutes last year... In 28 games is Marco Bellinelli, and he played 26.3 minutes, mm. right? So let's let's just swap that, and let's say Markel's going to get 30.2 minutes, and JJ will get 26.3 or 27-ish. I'm fine with that. It's just a three-minute swap. Um, and if if Markel is able to play at least like 80% like Markel, the Markel that we expected, then I'm fine with that. If the gap is larger or Markel's not able to do that, then I think that JJ is the one you want starting. But the idea of JJ, I think I said this last time, the idea of JJ coming off the bench is like this, you know, hired gun. I, I love that idea as long as you're not taking that big of a drop in the actual starting five by putting him on that bench. Yeah, I think for me, I'm less concerned about putting Fultz in the starting lineup. Like I get the the argument and I, I definitely am sympathetic to it and maybe even still believe this to an extent that bringing him off the bench just makes more sense because you have a secondary ball handler and you can kind of 
limit the amount of time that him and Simmons are on the floor together. And that's assuming that Markel Fultz is going to be more of the jump shooter we've seen to this point, which is like he's willing, he uh, is talented off off the pull-up, but he's not going to be like a 39% three-point shooter this year. I just don't anticipate that. Like he might be fine. It might not be uh, like he's a non-shooter or it's a huge issue, but he I, I can't imagine he's going to be like a plus-plus shooter from his position. Right. Um, so you're taking off like one of the best shooters in the game, J.J. Redick to bring in Fultz. I just think it's a downgrade that you don't necessarily need. And I, I kind of feel like if you're going to do it, take Sharich off. Uh, I get the idea of having J.J. Redick be that like bench scorer. I just, again, don't really think that's his game. Um, like he, he scores more within the flow of the offense and on kickouts. And, um, you know, Embiid gets doubled and they swing it out to him. Like that's, that's kind of where I see him scoring anyway. So I just don't really see... Why bring? I think Fultz, if anyone, Fultz is going to be the guy who's going to be able to come on with the second unit, and when everyone else is tired, and you know you have Amir Johnson in for Embiid, like Fultz is going to be able to go to work. I see that much more than I see Redick being that guy, um, and I, I just sort of feel like I like the idea of starting Fultz, sort of, but I, I think Sharich just makes more sense as the guy to come off. Um, I I agree with you when it comes to um, wanting JJ to not be that bench guy, really. But I think, I mean, when you... Yeah, JJ is a, obviously one of the best shooters in the NBA. He's going to be a better shooter than Markel Fultz for this entire season. Pretty much guarantee that, right? But there are things that Fultz can do that JJ can't. Specifically, defense, where Fultz is a plus defender basically right out of the box, and JJ is not. So the question then becomes, where do you value that more? And I think you probably value Fultz's defense more with the second unit. When there's less scoring around then you want to kind of ratchet up that defense if you possibly can. Because you can have a lockdown defensive and great offensive starting five crew, and then if you swap them out and it's like a drop down on both sides, then you're just going to basically try to hold the other team off until you can put your starting five back in and like pad the lead again, right? So it's just a, a, a matter of what Brett wants to do like scheme-wise, right? Do you want just pure offense while giving up a little bit of defense at the two or the three? or the other way around, where it's more versatile, more two-way, but not as high offense. And I think when you look at it that way, especially with, with Fultz's potential and ability and length on defense, I think he's probably better off in the second unit, at least to start the season. Yeah, you know, there, there's something I just thought about, too, that I hadn't really considered until we were talking right now, that there is some value. Like, I think we're really focused on Fultz right now, but there's some value if you you anticipate Sharich being a big part of the whether he's off the bench or he's starting, that he's going to play like close to 30 minutes this year. Um, there is some value to pairing him with Embiid as much as possible. Like, I, I think he's yeah. such a, you know, limited defender, um, especially inside, that you you kind of want him um, being able to step, like being able to gamble a little bit and take some risks and know that Embiid's behind him more than like if it's Mike Muscala or Amir Johnson back there. So I, I guess there is some value in pairing them. So maybe that's why you, maybe that's why Brett Brown says, all right, let me bring JJ off instead of bringing Sarich off and create a situation where, where you don't get as much time on the floor with Sarich and Embiid um, together. But I guess that is more of an argument towards what you just said, which is like, why not just bring Fultz off? Um, unless they really believe that he's, by the time the season rolls around, he's going to be like an average shooter. And then you have this average shooter who's also a plus defender, also can penetrate and be a secondary ball handler or even primary ball handler. And it's like, maybe that's worthwhile. Maybe he is just better than J.J. Redick this year, which is like not what I was anticipating. Right. I mean, this it, it really comes down to they're not going to have enough of a sample size against high-level competition to make that call and feel like a 1,000% confident about it by opening night, right? Because they got... Two more preseason games. They're both in China. They're both early in the morning. Uh, super early in the morning for you. Um, and I think they're going to just have to feel how they feel in in practice and go through stuff like that. So I wouldn't mean... I mean, Brett is never seemingly married to rotations and lineups. He's not in luck. You know, he's kind of... You know, he kept that starting lineup pretty much straight through last year. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if, say, you know, Fultz starts opening night and then JJ starts another night, matchup-wise, kind of feel it out. I don't think, you know, if, if Fultz starts, you know, game one, it's a guarantee he's going to start every game for the rest of the year. So I think there's there's some 
manipulating that can be done with it too. Yeah, and I think too, like like you said before, it's what's more important is who finishes games, what the rotations look like in between the start of the game and the end of the game. Like just because Foles is starting, I think, and like you said, that might not even be the case every night. I think there's all sorts of things that Brett Brown could play with. And, you know, if there's a certain matchup where it makes more sense to have shooters, maybe Foltz starts and after the five-minute mark, they bring on shooters and you just see a different kind of approach to the game after that point. Um, do you want to take some questions at this yeah, point? Yeah, sure. We had some pretty good ones. Um, I'm just pulling them up now. I know one question while I'm pulling this up uh, was about Jared Bayless. And uh, basically... Whether we think Jared Bayless should be on the team at this point, um, he suffered a knee injury, that, that knee sprain. Uh, it seemed at the time like it, the injury might be worse. Uh, there was just it was kind of obscure what had happened. Like the team wasn't fully forthcoming initially about what happened. It was just like he injured himself in practice. We'll give up. To, he's getting testing done, and we'll we'll check back. And it sounded like it was going to be pretty bad. And then fortunately, it was just a sprain. He's out for like three weeks, three to four weeks. Something like that. And going to be reevaluated. Um, I don't think it really makes much of a difference. Like, he wasn't going to play minutes in this rotation anyway. But I think the question is, like, do you think it makes sense at this point, um, given that he's on the last year of his deal, that um, if you move him, it's going to be in a dump anyway. Like, nobody's going to treat him like a player who um, – brings any on-court value like it's just going to entirely be a salary dump do you think it makes the situation a little more likely to try to push a trade sooner and maybe uh give up a second round pick or give up something of small value to turn jared bayless's eight million dollars into a more valuable player at around that money i don't think they're going to get anything great but like if they could get a 10th or 11th man um or someone who could play some backup wing minutes um in a pinch like that might be valuable to them considering you know you look at their 15-man roster with Bayless on it and you have Zaire Smith uh Jonah Bolden Furkan Korkmaz uh Landry Shamit who are all guys those are four guys you pretty much assume aren't going to play much this year um or, or are not going to play much either because they're not really ready or in Zaire Smith's case isn't healthy uh, and it's tough because then you're down with with Bayless now to um, that puts you basically at five five players who are going to be on your opening night roster who you either like would prefer not to play or are hurt in, in Zaire Smith and Jared Bayless's case and I I don't love that because I think if you if you suffer an injury like even if it's minor like if JJ Redick or TJ or, or Marco Fultz like misses a few games here or there you're now down to a nine or eight man rotation and now you're relying on Landry Shamit, Jonah Bolden, uh, Furkan Korkmaz. Like, it, it might be worth it at this point with Jared Bayless's injury that you want to go out and get someone just to be a body. I mean, yeah, I just don't know. I mean, I feel like if there was an opportunity for them to attach him to a second rounder and get rid of him, it would have been done already. So I really have no idea where he could possibly go, who could possibly take him on, especially now that he's hurt his knee. Um, I just don't, I don't see it. I don't know where, I mean, if, if there's always the chance, I guess that they weren't even, they weren't making a real effort to move him, which in which case that's just like dumb, but I just don't see who, who could possibly want him, what you could possibly get for him and where he could possibly go. Well, I, I think there's a chance that they just weren't willing to give up much that they were like, well, we'll give like a conditional second or the right to swap seconds or We'll give you our second, but not a more valuable second, like the Knicks second that we have in the future. Like maybe they're more willing to part with something of a little bit more value in that case. Um, I don't know. I, I, I feel like there is some value, even if you just are waiving him to free up a roster spot to sign a veteran who's on the market or keep a Mecca Okafor or something. That might be worth it just to like. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, anybody, any switch is better, right? Because he's not going to play. If he does play, he's been completely useless, and he's extremely injury prone. Um, you know, you even wonder at this point. Then, like, does him being out for a length of time does that mean you know that Demetrius Jackson's two way contract he starts he starts the season with the team up and plays more then um, than he would have? I mean, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if what they have in Jackson, what they really think they how much they like him. I mean, this is the second year on a two way, so. 
Um, but you know, you have to wonder if, if that's even a possibility. That's a good point. I hadn't really thought about and, and shake Milton too plays the same position. So maybe, maybe there's some value there that you can just kind of lean on those guys early in the season before Smith comes back and, and maybe Bayless. I mean, I'm not anticipating Bayless playing, but you kind of knew that in a pinch, like if you had two or three injuries, like you could play him 10 right. minutes and you're losing that, but maybe you're right that like having Demetrius Jackson, Jackson, having shake Milton, um, especially Jackson because he has experience in the in the um, the offense and everything maybe makes some sense um, new slant asked if either of us have ever had a reaction to food that required surgery nah, no like our good friend Zyre no Smith. that's so weird to me I don't know I mean we're not used to getting a ton of information in press releases from the team and just information in general um, but that was a new one you know that was a new one and I still don't know what the deal was. Yeah, that was kind yeah. of crazy. Um, yeah, and there's been no no follow up no. on that seemingly. Um, uh, Vitor Mello uh, asked uh, TJ's role this year. Do we think he'll have good minutes? I love TJ and hope he he stays with us. Uh, but I can see him being traded this year. All right, I'm going to say something, and then I'm going to put a little caveat at the end of it, okay? Okay. Um, with Fultz being here, uh, with this this added depth all around, you know, with if, when everyone's healthy, um, I just don't know where TJ will find his minutes this year, personally. Uh, obviously, he plays a good role in the team, and he's, he's good to be around, but it, how many opportunities are we going to have where he's the better option to be on the floor? So I could definitely see him getting traded. I have said a variation of that for the last two and a half seasons, basically. So I don't know, man. I mean, he he continues to prove himself that he belongs to be on the floor. And the granted, he will have lapses. But think about every time last year that he played where he made a dumb mistake or he was just towards the end of the year, he seemed like he was just kind of losing it. He was, he was just a net negative, it seemed like, for a couple of games there easily before the playoffs started. Now imagine in a situation like that, you just sub him out, put Markel Fultz in, right? So yeah, I think his minutes is like a hit, especially with Fultz being successful. But if Fultz is in the starting lineup now, so he's basically playing a combo one-two guard, uh, and then JJ's on the bench. So then JJ comes in, playing a combo two-three role along with Markel playing a combo two-three thing. Then when Ben goes to the bench, do you bring TJ in and play TJ with Markel? We don't really know. I mean, we saw Markel last year. We did see him play with TJ a little bit and with Ben. But now that he's able to possibly shoot the ball a little bit, does that change who he's paired with? I honestly don't know. I think none of us can really tell right now. We don't know how they see these players as, you know. I mean, TJ is obviously a great energy guy, but he's proven me wrong 25 times before, so he'll probably just do it again. Yeah, I, I agree. I think I think TJ's minutes are way down this season with with Fultz here. I think um, I wouldn't mind keeping him just again because if you were to have an injury to one of your guards, I think he's one of the better guys on your roster. You know, you can just like plug plug in and, or up his minutes and not expect to have any problems. I think like Wilson Chandler is one of those guys too. Um, but I don't know if something came around where you could trade him for a player at a different position who. Um, was it could could bring some value to yeah. your bench? Uh, I, I definitely could see that, especially with him going into free agency this year. Um, and I think also another factor is if Landry Shamit, who looked pretty good in the last preseason game, like if if Shamit by let's say December January shows that he is a guy you can actually lean on a little bit to play some point guard minutes, uh, you know, I could definitely see at that point you feeling a little more comfortable moving TJ McConnell, knowing that if you had an injury to Fultz or Simmons that lasted a few games, you wouldn't be down to one guy. Like you could, you could play someone else in a pinch. And I think um, I I need to get something of value. Like I wouldn't do it just for like a second round pick right. or something. Like I, I think he's valuable enough to the team right now uh, because of his like emergency backup point guard role. And I think he'll also play minutes even outside of that too. Cause he's, he's good enough that he should. Uh, but if they could get a valuable player now or someone who's on a rookie scale deal for more than just this season, I think I probably do that. Yeah. I'm, I'm a, I'm a Shamit guy. I know we're going to, I think there's some questions about him, but I'm a Shamit guy. So put that out there. Yeah. Um, 
Steve Gengler asks, uh, which Sixer benefits most from a best-case scenario Markel Fultz? Anybody that can shoot the ball or cut off the ball. Honestly, right? So let's just take two quick examples. I mean, Embiid with the picking and rolling. Yes. Um, but let's just take the examples, two opposite examples of Ben Simmons and J.J. Redick, right? J.J. moves so well without the ball. Um and Ben Simmons and other players are able to set him up coming around screens, curling around set plays to get these open shots. Now imagine the guy who is, say, going around an Embiid screen and J.J. is coming around another screen on the other side trying to get open for a three. Now imagine that guy has a threat to shoot the three, right? Then the whole defense shifts that way, probably leaving J.J. more open on the other side. Now on the other side of it, Ben Simmons, who is also extremely good at cutting off the ball, which you don't get to see a ton of because he usually brings the ball up and initiates the offense, but he does do a ton of cutting. So now say he comes up and instead of handing it off to Dario at the top of the key and doing a little dribble handoff move or whatever, he hands it to Markel Fultz who can now pass really well, put the ball on the floor really well and shoot. So then if he gets around, say another Embiid screen at the top of the key and gets into that like 18 foot zone, he's in a space where he can pull up and shoot, which is going to cause the defense to come closer on him, which then leave Ben Simmons open underneath. Having a guard like that who can put the ball on the floor and pull up and shoot really opens things up for everybody. But I think if they're on the floor together, it does wonders for Ben Simmons. The way Ben Simmons was finding Fultz for those easy layups in the beginning of, of that game, uh, if Fultz it throws himself as a threat to shoot and defenses take him seriously, you can easily flip that around and Ben will be the beneficiary of the same kind of plays. I totally agree with that. Ben Simmons comes to mind immediately. One, because it, it takes some of the pressure off of him having to be the point guard for 35, 34 minutes a game. Um, but also, I, I agree with you that he's really good, like an underrated um, off-ball player. I mean, he can't shoot, but in terms of cutting to the basket, finishing, um, cutting to the basket, getting the ball, and making a second pass off of that, kicking it out or or to someone else on the, the weak side of the rim, Like I, I think... Uh, I think he could really benefit from that. And I also think um, I think he's also a, pr- a pretty decent post player in terms of like getting position in the post. And I, I want to see more of that from Ben Simmons this year. Like he gets pretty deep position and he can finish inside and he's strong and, and has explo- explosiveness to like just dunk off of two feet. Like I, I just want to see a little bit more of that, of him like cutting from the weak side to the strong side, you know, sealing off calling for the ball and just getting it right at, like right at the rim. Um, yep. And I think with, with having another ball handle on the floor, you can get him into the more of those positions, which is nice. Yeah. Hey, everybody. How you doing? Well, that's good. My name is Bill Matz. I am the director of Fun and Games for Broad Street Hockey Radio Podcasts. And I am Kelly, the deputy managing editor of BroadStreetHockey.com. I'm Steph Driver, the NHL editorial manager for SB Nation. And I am Charlie O'Connor, lead Flyers writer for TheAthletic.com. And together we make up BSH Radio, one of the shows that you get at the SB Nation podcast family. We have a lot coming to you this year, and we want you to listen to our show. It is just an all-Flyers, all-the-time show, so much content. I really hope you listen to it. It is a great piece of the SB Nation podcast family, along with all your other favorite sports. We all love hockey, specifically the Flyers. Let's go the Flyers. The hockey team, the Flyers. Um, the great Sean O'Connor, Liberty Ballers' own, asked, uh, in terms of staggering minutes for the bench, uh, Fultz and Bede, keeping Fultz with Embiid and then putting Simmons with shooters is clearly the move, right? If so, doesn't it make sense to keep the starting lineup going with Fultz to maximize the number of minutes uh, JJ and Ben play together? I really like the idea, actually. Um that Sean lays out of, of starting with the group, the group we talked about with Fultz and Simmons and Embiid together, um, taking Simmons maybe off first and keeping Fultz or Fultz and Embiid coming off first, but keeping, trying to keep Fultz and Embiid together and then having Simmons either come back or stay on with additional shooters. So you have like something along the lines of like Simmons, JJ, Covington, Sarich, and then like Muscala or something or even Amir Johnson, um, and just kind of surrounding him with shooters, and then with Fultz and Embiid just letting them play pick and roll to death, which I, I really like the idea of that, actually. Yeah, absolutely. I, does Sean want to come on and host the podcast? Yeah, he's way uh, better ideas than us. Yeah, I think he's 100% right. The, um, you know, because that's, I mean, 
that's one of the reasons outside of just him being a great player. That's one of the reasons you brought JJ Redick again last year, right? To be a shooter around Ben Simmons. Um, so you don't want to break that up if you don't have to in any way. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think in general, when you have a six ten point guard who can't shoot, everyone else on the floor should be able to shoot to maximize the potential of everybody. So I think Sean's right. Yeah. Um, Markel Fultzstan asked, did I see Jim Adair at Game of Thrones live experience last night? And if he was there, was he disappointed they didn't cover Tower of Joy at all? Uh, Jim was at the Game of Thrones live, live experience last night. This is true. Um, it was cool. There was this dude going absolutely bonkers on a bunch of strange horns, really feeling it. It was nice. Um, and I don't know, man. I, I don't, I think with the Tower, again, I'm not going to get too far into it. You know, the Tower of Joy thing. So it seemed like they were really, you know, playing the hits a bit, right? Playing a lot of scenes from the show with a lot of different characters that everyone loved. People were cheering along when they see a character they like. And the Tower of Joy, you know, there's not much stuff going on there with characters that people are really have some kind of a strong connection to. So I understand skipping that kind of stuff. I have no opinion on this. I've watched one episode of Game of Thrones, uh, and it was like not even the first episode. It was just like some random episode someone else in the room was watching. So I I don't know what the Tower of Joy is. I drank a beer, and I ate some of uh, a funnel cake. Good update. Um, Yeah. uh, Oh, Dan asks, uh, is it just me, or is cleaning the glasses new predict feature lit AF? Uh, also, which Sixer is most likely to say John during an interview? Can I answer you, his you question answer the second with a question? question? I'll answer his first question with a question. Oh, okay. Can none of you ever make it so that Max has to say lit AF out loud again? <laughs> that would be you. preferable. Either of us. Either of us, really. Um, but yeah, please. Thank you. Well, I'll, I'll, since I know about the cleaning the glass uh, predict feature, why don't you cover the John thing? But, the, but I guess first, uh, so cleaning the glass is uh, former hinky underling Ben Fox website, which is awesome. And if you haven't checked it out, you should. Um, it has some really good, really good content and like some really awesome like visualizations and predict- predictive stuff and like advanced stats. It's really helpful. Um, but he, he recently, I think it was actually today, uh, put out this new uh, feature on the website called Predict where you can go on and you can basically pre- like answer a bunch of questions uh, based on this season. So like one of them might be uh, how likely on a scale from 0 to 100% are the Lakers to make the playoffs this year? Or will Ben Simmons attempt more than 10 three-pointers in the season? And you basically just put your confidence level that this will or will not happen. So 0% if you think there's absolutely no chance, 100% if you think it will, 80% if you're like very confident but not 100% confident, and so on. And it kind of tracks your progress over the year. And you can change your answer as the season goes, but it'll be effect Like if you said 100% earlier in the year and then – Halfway through the year, change it to two percent. Uh, you'll be, and it ends up being two percent or whatever. You'll be uh, uh, penalized for having put a hundred percent for the first half of the season. So I think it's like an interesting feature because, and there'll be a leaderboard and everything throughout the year, kind of tracking who's doing the best, who's making the best predictions, um, which I think is pretty cool. And I think it's something that a lot of us do already. Like we always do over unders on the podcast for the Sixers for stats. Um, it's kind of similar to like checking your old big boards to see how right you were about stuff. Like it's kind of cool to uh, have that like gamified aspect of it. So I'm, I'm excited to fill those out and see how I do. It'll probably be really depressing and, and humbling, but uh, people should check that out because it's cool. Uh, to answer the second half of the question, I would be absolutely shocked if Joel Embiid and TJ McConnell have not already said John in private. They definitely know what it means, and they've definitely said it even in joking manner. I would love to hear Dario say it with his accent. I would love to hear Jonah Bolden say it with his accent. Um, and Quirk Moss as well. Uh, but I don't think that there's like... It's definitely probably Joel, and then probably TJ. Does Elden Brand count? I feel like Elden Brand, uh, I feel I like Elden Brand could say it. I feel like he lived here long enough. Uh that he he could get away with saying John and it feeling authentic. Yeah, but I mean, I didn't ask the question, so I don't know if that counts. Um, 
Kevin Gillespie asked, uh, here's your, here's your Landry Shamit question. Is the long-term JJ replacement already on the roster? Uh, Shamit, Zaire, Korkmaz as shooting guard. Or if Dario continues to start, are the long-term power forward and center backups currently on the roster? Um, first of all, I love that we're talking about long-term JJ replacements when JJ has been here for one <laughs> season. Big. No, I'm not. Even, I wasn't being sarcastic. Big fan of that because I think we have to kind of think of like who will be like the knockdown shooter. Yeah. Um, I think there's certainly a possibility that it's Shamit. I don't. I think it's more likely to be Shamit than Korkmaz. I agree. Uh, just because Korkmaz. I don't know if we'll ever have the NBA body, if you will. Um, and also, Shamit's more of a question mark in terms of, like, uh, you don't know what you have in him yet, right? Because there's less known about him. You haven't seen him play as much. Even though Korkmaz, you know, summer league stuff, and he only played, you know, less than half of the season last year, um, you kind of have a better sense about of who he is a, as a player. So I think the chances are a little bit higher that it's probably someone like Shamit uh, or someone who could be around in the future now uh jj type production does not come around all the time shamit was a a late first rounder Korkmaz was a late first rounder um if you get even 60 percent of jj out of either one of those guys that's an enormous victory um yeah i don't know i think it's more likely that that guy comes in the form of a future first or you know not at all, honestly. But uh, if he is already on the roster, I would say it seems to me, just as an optimistic person with just more, you know, more paths to go down, I would say for me it seems more Shamit than Quirkmas. I, I agree with that, and I think Zaire Smith's just a different player, but could definitely improve his three point shooting. Um, is it crazy to say that Dario could sort of be that? It's a different position. It's a different type of thing. He's a stretch four. But that Dario could be the like Hito Turkoglu, like who kind of played that same. Well, I guess JJ Redick was on that team, but like that kind of player who can be. It doesn't need to be a shooting guard, but someone who um, right is just like the knockdown three point shooter on your team. Like that could be. I, I mean, that I could would, be Dario. I mean, I would love him to be that. I mean, he shot what thirty nine percent last yeah. year, thirty eight percent, which was I believe you know much higher than most of us thought he would, and he was in the above the forty percent mark for uh for a good chunk of the year um i think dario is the guy that you hope becomes the 50 40 90 guy although it seems that the 50 part is probably the furthest way off uh last year for example he was 45.3 from field goal range 39.3 from three and 86 from the line which again he spent a good a, a nice amount of the year above that 90 percent mark around that 90 percent mark um, so yeah, he's just a very different type of player, um, size wise, especially, and can do a lot more. So I wouldn't expect nor necessarily want to turn Dario into a JJ. Um, but yeah, I, I think, I mean, it's great if he continues to shoot better and, and improve that, but I, I wouldn't necessarily expect that from him. Um, last question I, I think is, uh, is a good one is comes from Taylor Kratz who asked, uh, if the Pelicans decide to sell on sell on AD this summer in anticipation, the anticipation of him leaving, uh, I don't agree with what he says we should give up, but would you offer, he asked Markel for Drew, if it looks like Markel won't be on Joel and Ben's timeline, isn't a fit, or there are shot concerns. Um, I'm, I, I don't think, I mean, you'd have to see what happens with Fultz this year, but I can't imagine a, a scenario in which you'd want to trade Fultz for Drew Holiday at the end of this year. Like, Fultz would have to just completely fall apart, or Drew Holiday would have to just have a monster year that, like, really makes you confident he's, like, you know, kind of a, a Lowry situation where at age 29 or 28 or whatever he is, he just has, like, a a second uh, prime of his career. But right, I don't anticipate that happening. I, I would be interested in trading for Drew Holiday, though. I think I, I think that could be really interesting. Um, yeah, I think, I mean, if you're going to do a, a Fultz-Drew swap, you have to really be basically believe that Fultz is not salvageable, right? Because then you got what, like, so Fultz, after this season, will have two more years where he's owed, like, seven and then eight million or something like that, or, like, nine or ten or what, like that, right? Mm-hmm. Something like that. Uh, Drew, over the next, you know, so the this year he's he's making 254 
Next year, be 26. At year after that, 25.4 again, and then 26.3 again, and then he's a UFA. So you're basically saying we'll give up, you know, a guy who we just have no faith at all in and who's not costing us a ton of money for the right to pay Drew Holiday $27 million for a year after. Like, one year longer of that contract. So Drew would be under contract for one year more than Fultz would be off of just the straight-up rookie deal, and you'd be paying them $26 million. So I don't know. It all depends on what happens this year with both players, but I just can't see the, you know, it's not like an MCW-type situation where you're like, all right, bad team, padded numbers, not really that good. If Fultz looks good this year, it's because he's good. And if he looks bad, then he's not going to get you Drew Holiday, I don't think. I don't know. It's, it's, it'll be weird. I don't know. Like I have absolutely zero idea on what Fultz's value is around the league. Um, since everybody the Sixers call about a trade seems to say Ben Simmons or nothing. Uh, so I don't know. Uh, that seems like an overpay. But again, we're talking end of this year. Things can be very different by then. On instinct, I say no. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I, I think um, given his the money he's owed, he's owed, like you said, like 25, 26, 27 million over the next handful of years. And just like where he's at in his career, he's 28. He's had injury problems. He had one of his better seasons last year, but still like a, a very good starter, but not a great player. Um, you know, I, I just can't imagine it would cost that much. But if the Sixers struck out in free agency next year or just like weren't in a position to get the guys they wanted, um, I'd be willing to trade something. For Drew Holiday, like, I think that could be really nice, and you would just probably go forward with like uh, Fultz and Drew Holiday as your backcourt, put Simmons more at like the power forward position, but still handle the ball a lot. Then you'd still have Embiid, Covington, and Saric. Like I, I think that could be kind of nice. Um, I don't, I don't think that um, getting Drew Holiday would mean you have to get rid of Fultz by any means, but uh, I just wouldn't want to give up anywhere near that much. But I think the idea of going and getting someone like Drew Holiday. I like the idea, certainly. Yeah. Um, I think that's pretty much it for questions. Uh, we'll be back next week, which will be after both the Chinese. Yeah, but after both Chinese uh, preseason games uh, and kind of gearing up for the regular season, we'll take a week out at that point. Yeah, it's going to be exciting. I mean, it's, again, they, they're kind of, Put in a weird spot by the league by having this weird travel thing right before the season started where last year they crammed all these games in because they went to London for a week. But you know what? Apparently not an embarrassment to the league anymore, so you got to do what you got to yeah. do. Um, but I think it'll be interesting to see what happens in these two games and just get a, a better look at Fultz as a jump shooter. I think that'll like inform a little bit. Because I think if you asked, if we'd had this these conversations, which I guess we did after the first game, you're kind of thinking, like, I don't see how this works with Fultz. And then he hits one three-point shot and takes three more and misses them. And we're like, all right, he's fine. Like, it's good. Yep. I, I just need to see a little bit more to feel, like, totally confident in that. But right. I feel much more confident just seeing him hit one and be willing to take them. So if he has another couple games where he's willing to shoot them and he, and he makes more of them, then I feel like I'll, I'll feel pretty good. Absolutely. That was good analysis on my part. If Fultz makes three-pointers, I will feel good about Fultz making three-pointers. Yeah. Let's leave it at that. Let's just let's just hope he's not like Luwawu from three. Oh, man. Don't don't bring up Luwawu. Sorry. I'm sorry. I'm I'd, sorry. I'd just forgotten about him. It's okay. We'll all, we'll all get through this together. J.P. Tokido. I'm just thinking of, oh, I'm just thinking on, of other man. disappointing That's... guys I'd forgotten about until this moment. Wow. Well, this is a way to end a podcast. Yeah. So. Arsalan Kazemi. Jason Capono. Full circle. Yep, full circle. All right, thanks for listening, guys. See ya. Support for this show comes from Fundrise. Buy low, sell high. It's easy to say, hard to do. For example, high interest rates are crushing the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices are falling, even for many of the best assets. 
It's no wonder the Fundrise Flagship Fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise Flagship Fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting Fundrise.com Fox. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise Flagship Fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at Fundrise.com flagship. This is a paid advertisement. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today. 